0: heights to the
1: depths of the sea. And it's interesting because Eliab, as part of Saul's army, he should have been doing what he was responsible for, and that was for standing up for the people of Israel. That was his responsibility. So you can imagine how incensed he is, you know, knowing that David does his job really well, and now he's coming to the battlefield, being the youngest part of this whole regiment, and he shows up, and he's the only one who's got the faith to stand up against us, you know genetic nightmare of Goliath.
0: Uncontainable You place the stars in the sky Welcome everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today our lesson begins with the reaction of David's brothers when he showed up at the battle site. As David was being obedient to his father when he asked him to check on his brothers that were at the battle site one would have thought that David's visit would please his oldest brother Eliab because of the things that he brought from home but instead he was misunderstood and falsely accused Eliab was angry and perhaps jealous as he felt David was an insignificant worthless person who had no right to speak up regarding Goliath or the battle with the Philistine army. Instead, we will see that God's choice was the best one, as always. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues our study.
1: All right, let's open our Bibles to First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel 17. This is a passage in the Bible that many of us know very well. And sometimes I think it's possible to know a passage so well and to become so familiar with it that we can, it's very easy for us to miss some of the main points of it. You know, most people think that David and Goliath is just a battle about good and evil, and certainly it is. You know, Goliath is a type of Satan, the one who is roaring like a lion, and, and that's what the Peter tells us, that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking, going throughout the earth seeking whom he may devour. He is a roaring lion. He's got a loud mouth, and he's, he's, he's very much intimidating. He's very much, uh, he knows how to intimidate our flesh. He knows how to excite us and how to get us to do things in, in a hurry and to do things in a panic and do things, you know, in, in, in a hurry. And he's very good about that. He knows the flesh. He is the king of all flesh. Satan is. And Goliath is a type of Satan. And we see young David having come just from the fields of his father Jesse... And I want you to remember this. I said it last week, but I'll say it again. Think of David tonight. You know, he's a very familiar character, and he's a historical person. This event that we're reading about is not a children's story. Just like Jonah is not a children's story. That really happened, folks. This event really happened. And David, this young man, Insignificant to his family. In fact, when Samuel, when God told Samuel to go down to Bethlehem from Ramah, where Samuel had lived, he told him to go down to Ephrathah, which is in Bethlehem, and to invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. And there he was to anoint David. At the time, Samuel didn't know who he was going to anoint because Jesse had eight sons, and, and David was the youngest of the eighth. And you recall that all of them came before Samuel, and God said, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one. And then finally they got through all seven of them, and, and the Lord says, this is not the one. And so naturally Samuel's going, is there, you got anybody left, Jesse? We've got a problem here. It's a numbers issue. He said, oh, yeah, there's a, a youngest out in the field. His name's David, and, and, and Samuel's like, well, go get him. We're not going to sit down until you bring him. And so they come and they bring him. And at this time, I want you to remember that put out of your mind all of your information that you've learned from David. Think of this time, and as we go through Samuel, try to erase all the stuff that you know about him. It'll help you understand how insignificant he was to his own family, much less the children of Israel. His own dad didn't think it was necessary to call him to the feast. So he was unimportant. Do you ever felt that way? Maybe you're the youngest in your family. Maybe you have felt unimportant. Maybe you don't have the skills that somebody else has. And therefore, you've been passed over for promotions. And you've been passed over and passed over. And you seem insignificant. You seem not really uh, necessary. Many people feel that way. And David is a type of Jesus, in a sense. We're going to see why tonight as we go through. And so Jesse sends his son to the battlefield because, remember, the the Philistines are are, are gathering together, and remember, they are um, amassing on the hill called Sochow, and the children of Israel are on the other side, on another side of the mountain, on the other part of the valley of Elah, and in the middle is a valley. And Goliath comes out for 40 days. He did this morning and in the evening. He came out and he taunted them. He blasphemed the God of Israel. He blasphemed and disdained the armies of Israel. And this guy was over 9 feet tall, probably close to 10 feet tall. He had a coat of mail on him that was somewhere between 150 to 200 pounds He had a spear in his hand. The head of it was 15 to 25 pounds. And it was like a weaver's beam. You wouldn't even need to be pierced through with this thing. It just hits you and it knocks you unconscious. It's so big. And here he comes in all of his flesh and all of his brawn. He comes out in the middle of the field and he starts cursing. And he starts belittling and the armies of Israel, you recall, and we looked at this in the first 27 verses last week, they are all quaking in their boots. And he did this for 40 days. And Saul, being the tallest, the Bible says that when, when Saul, Saul was the head and shoulders taller than anybody else in Israel, and Saul was a man of, he had some experience in battle. It should have been Saul that went out on the field. Because it was one of those deals where they had a representative from each side coming out, and whoever won, that's who would serve the other, or would be served by the other. Instead of all the collateral damage, just get, to, just get two of the biggest guys on the field, let them put on the boxing gloves, and let them have it, and whoever wins, the other team serves them. And Saul should have been the one. He was certainly bigger, he had the armor, he had everything. But the Bible says something really interesting for us. It says in verse, in chapter 16, it says that the spirit of the Lord came upon David from the moment he was, that Samuel anointed him. But it says this too about Saul, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and notice a distressing spirit. In other words, a demonic spirit from the Lord troubled him. Well, that's, that'll mess your theology up. The Lord allowed a distressing, demonic spirit to come and harass Saul, to create havoc, to create confusion and, and, and give him problems. And finally, so David is told by his father, go to the battlefield, they've been doing this for 40 days, go down to meet your brothers, because three of his oldest brothers were in the army. And so he goes there, and he's supposed to deliver uh, some, some food for his brothers Uh, some cheese for the captain of thousands that they were a part of. And his brothers see him there. And David asks, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that taunts the armies of God and defies the name of God? And the army said, that's Goliath. And everyone is shaking. And he says, what's going to happen to the guy who takes him out? And I'm paraphrasing here. He said, well... You're going to be a wealthy man. Saul the king is going to give you his daughter to marry, so you'll be a a son-in-law to the king. That's a pretty big deal. And also, your whole family is not going to be taxed anymore. That's a pretty good deal as well. And David could care less about the money. And while he was there, the champion of Goliath, of the Philistines, comes out again, and he, he starts it up again. And David's looking at him. And David, his anger is stirring up in him. And he's like who is this guy to defy God? Notice, if you, know, if you read this passage over again sometime, notice how often David doesn't talk about himself at all. It's all about the glory of God, and there is the secret. He wasn't concerned about his own popularity. He could care less. And so he says, you know what? I want to go out and take care of this guy. God gives him the faith. And notice, the Spirit of God is upon David, but it departed from Saul. So finally, word gets back to Saul. So Saul brings David. He says, what do you want to do, young man? And of course, Saul knew David because David had been playing the harp before him whenever this demonic spirit came upon him or harassed him. But maybe a few years had gone by here and he didn't recognize exactly who he was because children grow. Perhaps. But he's like, all right, if you're going to go out, you're going to need to put on my coat of mail because you got nothing. So he puts all this armor on, Saul's armor. He puts it on. He gives him his sword and he puts the helmet on. And David looks like this. I can just imagine he's like probably that tall. And he's got all this stuff weighing him down. And he looks like one of those, like Gimli from the Lord of the Rings. Before he goes out to battle, he's just laden with the coat of mail and goes down to the floor. And David says, I can't do this. I haven't tried it. I haven't, I haven't tested it. But his brothers disdain him. His older brothers, as he's coming to the front line, and certainly Jesse, their father, wanted to get a report back of how they were doing. And while he's there, they are looking at David, these three older brothers, and they're, they're getting on his case. And so we actually pick up at verse 28. And so let's do that uh, right now. 28. It says now Eliab his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and he said why did you come down here and with an emphasis mine and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness because David was a shepherd and before he came out to the field to greet his brothers to give them food to eat and get a report to bring back to his father which he did by being obedient by the way You know, they're saying he had to leave the sheep with somebody, so his older brother is kind of upbraiding him. Whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. In other words, you've come down to see bloodshed. You know how people sometimes, when they go by an accident scene, and we're all guilty of it, you drive by and the whole car is mangled, and you're like, And then you hit somebody in front of you because they stop and you smash them in the front. That's what they're accusing David of. You know, it's something you don't see every day and it kind of takes you by surprise. And they're saying, you just come down to see bloodshed. You just come down to see blood and guts. And that's farthest from the truth. David was simply being obedient to his father. And in this way, Jesus and David are similar because Jesus came to do the Father's will, correct? And so did David. David wasn't there of his own volition. He was very happy to be out in the field ministering to those sheep of his dad's. Something he knew well. But now he's here, and his brothers have a problem with it. I love in John chapter 1, verse 11, it says that Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And this is exactly what happened with David as he comes, and his brothers begin to disdain him. So Eliab, he scorned him. And it's not uncommon, is it, for the oldest, in a group of boys especially? Can you imagine growing up with eight boys in the house? I bet David's mother was fit to be tied. How many gallons of goat's milk do you got to have for eight boys growing up as they eat their Count Chocula and Cheerios? Gallons upon gallons of growing boys, drinking milk like four gallons a day, five gallons in this word in 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 verse 28 where it says Eliab's anger was aroused what it means is the idea behind this word is his, his nostrils were flaring and no doubt there was some history there between the oldest and the youngest as there usually is I was the youngest in my family my brother was much older than I was so there was always this rivalry I love him now but back when I was you know when he was in his teenage years I didn't like him so much but I love and respect him now and we have a good relationship, but he he and I were like a David and Goliath. I was David and Goliath. And maybe before the evening's over, if I got time, I'll tell you a little story. My David and Goliath experience with my brother. It's really wonderful. But I'll I'll pause it. So notice in verse 28, it says, And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I find it interesting that his older brother, he's now attacking David for the thing that he did really well. David was a good shepherd. He was a good shepherd, and he took it very seriously. And it's interesting because Eliab, as part of Saul's army, he should have been doing what he was responsible for, and that was for standing up for the people of Israel. That was his responsibility. So you can imagine how incensed he is, You know, knowing that David does his job really well. And now he's coming to the battlefield, being the youngest part of this whole regiment. And he shows up, and he's the only one who's got the faith to stand up against this, you know, genetic nightmare of Goliath. And his brothers are incensed. Eliab is just looking at him going, man, I just, you know, you can see it. An older brother, just jealous of him, that he's got the faith to do it and, and not even believing that he could follow through with it. And Eli- Eliab's indignation, I believe, is partly due to his own shame that now his brother is willing to also fulfill his role. His role is to be in battle or to go out. And now David's going to fulfill that. Can you see how that could incense somebody? Could make them angry? Notice at the end of that verse too, he says, "For you have come down to see the battle," and David wasn't there to, for some out, out of some morbid curiosity that some people have. You know, don't be surprised when you're ridiculed and persecuted, like David was from his older brothers, because you are because you are walking in obedience to your father, and that's exactly what he was doing. You will find often that when you are obedient to God, you're going to get the business from other people, even other Christians who really aren't walking in the spirit, but rather walking in the flesh. Even brothers and sisters in Christ whose walk is not quite right, they will look at you because you are being obedient. They're going to persecute you. It's not so much the outside of the church that has a problem with Christians. Sometimes it's people within the church. It's been said that the church is the only army that shoots its own wounded. Why is that? When we're together, shouldn't we be building each other up? Shouldn't we be loving each other? We're all in different places. We're all in different seasons of life. We all have different problems and issues that God is working on. Shouldn't we love each other and hold each other up instead of comparing ourselves with each other and nitpicking and gossiping behind each other's back? God hates that. He hates it. And we ought to grow and love each other. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter five, Jesus, in his on the Mount of Beatitudes, there on the west side of the of the uh, Sea of Galilee, he said this to his disciples. He said, "Blessed are you when you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. David certainly being persecuted." And don't be again don't be surprised when you want to do the right thing when you want to serve the lord with all of your heart in sincerity and purity and holiness that chances are you may not be exactly liked but who cares seriously who cares what anybody thinks about you our estimation should only be We should only be concerned with God's estimation of us. And it's very normal, it's very natural to want to be loved by people. But if that is the way it is with you all your life, you're going to be hurt most of your life. Learn to get your focus off of people and onto God and say, Lord, I don't care about any... I, I love these people, but I want to be right in your eyes first and foremost. If I can do that, then you take care of all this. And don't even be concerned with what people think. I'd rather be... Careful about what God thinks. In Second Timothy chapter three, verse twelve, Paul said to his young protege, He said, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're doing the right things, things are gonna happen. The devil he leaves Christians alone who are compromised and don't do anything for the kingdom. But if you're doing things for the Lord and you're doing them out of obedience, be prepared. There's gonna be challenges. And don't be afraid of that either. Rejoice," he said. "Isn't that what Jesus said? Rejoice, for great will be your reward in heaven." I can be so focused down here that I forget that where I'm ultimately going to be for eternity. Think of that. I'm 51 right now, and who cares what happens or who I might offend by telling them the truth for the next 20, 30 years on this earth, if I make it that far? I'm going to spend eternity with the King of Kings. Eternity that never ends. How many lifetimes can you fit into eternity? As many as you can think. In Isaiah 53, what did it say about Jesus? Isaiah prophesying some 700 years before Christ was incarnate in the flesh through the Virgin Mary. It says that he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Certainly it's speaking of Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross and his whole family even deserted him. Even all of his disciples at the end. Only John and a handful of women were there at the, at the, resurrection, or at the uh, crucifixion. And very similar to David as he is suffering persecution under his brothers. Notice in verse 29, back in our text, it says, David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And you can tell by the reply, it's evident that he and Eliab were probably always at odds with one another. Typical sibling rivalry. Maybe you had that with your brothers or sisters. And I imagine this tension would have only been greater seeing that David's brothers They were present when Samuel anointed him as king. Even though it would take a a handful of years before it would actually come to pass, God's hand was already on David, and Saul began to decline, and David began to excel. And God's hand was upon him. The Spirit of God was upon David, but the Spirit of God left Saul, and often a distressing spirit would come upon him. So in verse 30, it says, Then he turned, David turned... Him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did concerning what the reward would be for killing Goliath. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. So Saul says, Who is this young man? Bring him. And so in verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail him because of Goliath. And notice what he says Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Notice that first he was a servant. Even though David had been anointed king, and in all sense, in all sense and you know, purposes, he was God's anointed king. And Saul was diminishing. But yet David didn't think too highly of himself. He didn't walk up and say, hey, buddy, I'm the new king in town. Hop off the throne. need to have somebody measure this and make it a little shorter for me. No, he didn't do that at all. Notice he said, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. It's at this moment, I believe, that David proved that he was the rightful king. Even though he wasn't usurping, he wasn't demanding anything. David came as a servant first, and that is why God could make him such a great king. I love that. And Psalm 75, verse 6, says, For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. And that's exactly what's happening here with Saul and David. God is going to be, he's putting down Saul, and he's going to raise David to be one of the greatest kings Israel ever had. Notice verse 33 back in our text. So Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. You're just a short little stubby guy.